It's New Comics Day, Wednesday, September 16th, 2015, and this is the Word of God in Word Bubbles. That's right, you're listening to God in Comics. On today's show, great comic book writing. We talk about some of our favorite comic writers and why we love them. What makes great comic writing different from other kinds of great writing? We'll answer that question and others, plus our recommendation, this or that, and a whole lot more. I'm Father Jonathan Michikin. I am uh, here at Church of the Holy Comforter in Drexel Hill, Pennsylvania. On the line with me today is Father Kyle Tomlin. Father Kyle, where are you? I'm at Church of the Messiah in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And also on the line is Father Matt Stromberg. Father Matt, where are you? I'm at Christ Church in Cooperstown, New York. All right, wonderful to be back with you guys as we enter into Season 2 of God and Comics. You guys excited? Yes, absolutely. All right. Definitely. Well, you know, we are talking about writing today, and of course, um, I remember being back in school, and and, uh, every year as you came into the school year, your teacher would put you through that dreadful exercise of writing the what did you do on your summer vacation essay. So um, I won't make you guys write essays, but uh, did you guys do anything interesting during your your summer vacation? I uh, grew my beard out and let some birds take up residence in it. That's that's true. For those of you who cannot see Father Kyle, he has a truly epic beard at this point. He he looks like he's clergy in the Latvian Orthodox uh, Church. <laughs> that is that is correct. That is correct. Uh, anything interesting for for you, Father Matt? We had a gentleman call from Pakistan, who he he was he was a, a Muslim. But he, he very much wanted to convert to Christianity, and he called a couple times and spoke to us on the phone at, at some length, and, and I tried to my best to explain the, the Christian faith sort of from scratch to this guy. I, I was a little wary at first because, you know, I, I was thinking, like, well, what's his angle? And it's a, mm. it's a, it's a pity that, that you have to have those sort of suspicions. But he never asked anything from us but the gospel and so um i haven't heard from him since but i've been praying for him and i hope he's he's finding what he's seeking yeah praise god for that yeah yeah did he ever say why he called you in cooperstown i mean i have no idea that's why it (laughs) seems sort of suspicious i mean how do of all the churches to call right you know like in america I guess we're the number one church in America. Yes, that's what I would take from that. Yes, I would too. So we're the flagship church of the United States. So just so you realize. I mean, after all, we are Christ church. There you go. And there's not many of those around, you know? (laughs) Father Matt Stromberg, the new Tim Keller. (laughs) Ah, I was going to say Billy Graham, but that, that works too. That works, too. All right, well, before we go any further, it's time for our recommendation, and I believe Father Matt has that for us. Yes, I do. I'd like to recommend a title from Dynamite. Dynamite's an independent publisher, and they've been publishing quite a number of 
pulp characters, uh, sort of like the characters like the Shadow and the Spider, and, and, and these characters that were popular from pulp magazines, sort of the trench-coated, fedora-wearing crime fighters from, from the 40s. And one, one of the characters that they've taken on is, uh, is Will Eisner's The Spirit. They've relaunched this character uh, with a new title published by, by them at Dynamite. And they, they have some pretty great talent working on the book. Matt Wagner is, is the writer. Matt Wagner uh, is famous for, for his, his character Grendel, and, which was an excellent comic uh, published years ago. And, and now he's trying his hand at, at the spirit. In case you don't know who the spirit is, the spirit is a character that goes back quite a number of years. It goes back to the the 1940s, and it, it, it started off as a newspaper insert. So uh, Will Eisner was hired to create a comic book that would be inserted into the newspaper. It was like 16 pages or so. It was oversized, and it came out you know every week with the newspaper. I wish they still had those. That sounds amazing. Yeah. It would <laughs> yeah. make me want to buy a newspaper. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, if they, if they want to get newspapers back off the ground, maybe they need to recruit some comic book talent to do that. Mm-hmm. Will Eisner was sort of one of the more innovative comic book creators of his day, as, as both as an, as an author and as a writer. In fact, he's credited with the invention of the graphic novel. He published a, a number of very literary, smart, and sophisticated graphic novels. But the spirit is his sort of closest thing he really comes to a superhero. So th- this is the character. Danny Colt was a private eye. When he goes up against uh, Dr. Cobra, he is uh, doused in some sort of chemicals, and everybody thinks he's dead. They bury him in a tomb. But it turns out he's in suspended animation. And, and so he comes back as, as the spirit. And he wears, you know, sort of a domino mask and a, and a blue business suit and gloves. And he's able to fight crime anonymously as this sort of character that comes out of nowhere. They've done a number of attempts at relaunching the spirit. This one's really well done. It's great, and the artwork is by Dan uh, Dan Dan Schade. It's hard to say his name. It's S C H K A D Schade, and he he does he does some beautiful work. It's 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 set, of course, in the forties because the character is so much. Uh, he's so native to that era. Um, the way he dresses, the way the characters dress. It's got that 1940s noir kind of style. And so it takes place back then, but it's sort of like if you remember the Batman animated series or some of the early Batman movies where it was like, it's sort of 1940s-esque, but then there's also traces of modern day. That definitely seems to be the case with with the spirit. In Wagner's story, the spirit has been a missing in action for two years, and everybody thinks he's dead. And so he actually doesn't appear in the first couple episodes at all, except 
as as like sort of in a flashback, and everybody's trying to find out what happened to the spirit. His 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 friends, uh, Ebony White and Sammy, uh, are, are are they have their own private detective agency now, and and they decide to look for him, to track down. Well, what happened to the spirit? His girlfriend, his romantic interest, Ellen, has has sort of moved on. She's with this nice guy named Archibald, who's a lawyer. So far, he seems like a, a perfectly good guy, but he's a bit of a pushover. He's uh, he's a bit of a bore. He's the opposite of the spirit, <laughs> who was always uh, filling Ellen's life with danger, but also excitement. And so she's trying to to move on, but she she's not really able to do that. She's still pining after after the spirit and the the whole city sort of is pining after the spirit so that's how this story begins with the mystery uh, where is the spirit whatever happened to the spirit uh, is he dead you know if so who murdered him um so uh, that's how it begins and I, i've only read the first couple issues but it's off to a a really great start I don't know. Have you guys read any of the other Dynamite books? Uh, I, this really makes me want to go and check out what they're doing with uh, the Shadow. You know, I've been very interested looking through the uh, little newspaper that you can sometimes get at comic shops. The mm-hmm. things they've done, like the Green uh, Hornet series, they've done, mm-hmm. and then some of the things like the Shadow and and they um, have this they have this series they have a bunch of crossover series now that are really interesting like they they they've got one thing going called legendary where they're taking a bunch of these properties that they have and doing basically steampunk versions of them so they have like legendary <laughs> green hornet legendary um red sonia <laughs> and so forth um so that that's been really good and then the other thing um this is a little more um, this is not quite as um, in that same pulpy vein, but definitely in the same uh, realm of things is this Swords of Sorrow crossover they have going with all of the various uh, female characters they've collected mm-hmm. through the ages. Everybody from Red Sonia to incredibly obscure figures, the female Kato, Jungle Girl. I mean, who the heck's ever heard of Jungle Girl? Gail Simone has organized this big group of all female creators to do this massive crossover where they have six issues of the the thing that they're doing together and then they have all of these little uh three-part offshoots with different creators taking two of those characters at a time and just like throwing them together in a random circumstance just to see what happens. Um mm. so like, you know, they'll have like vampirella and lady zaro just like (laughs) hanging out let's see what happens um so i you know i i think dynamite is um is you know for a company that basically exists off of properties it didn't create but just like a whole mess of things it's managed to accumulate they they sure are figuring out a way to do interesting stuff with with that kind of weird collection of characters that they have rights to yeah all right well thank you for that recommendation so gentlemen let's talk about writers our favorite writers let's start with with who some of our favorites are and why 
and I wonder, Father Kyle, if you wouldn't mind starting us off with that. Who are some of your favorite comic writers? Sure. I think it would be remiss not to say that one of my favorite comic book writers of all time is Stan Lee. I think the number of stories that Stan Lee wrote and the quality of the stories that Stan Lee wrote um, just stands on a level all their own. Clearly, so much of those classic characters would build on things that he wrote. I would probably, uh, in a more modern-day sense, say that one of my favorite contemporary writers is uh, Grant Morrison, although at times I have a little bit of a love-hate relationship with Grant Morrison. (laughs) I think that... uh, Grant Morrison conceptually comes up with some amazing ideas, um, particularly the stuff that he did on JLA in the late 90s, early 2000s. He managed to recapture a kind of a classic feel of the Justice League at that time after the Justice League had gone through a number of mutations and he had brought back the original characters. And I think he did a good job of tapping into who those original characters were and how collectively they work together. I'm particularly fond of Grant Morrison's work on Batman in the latter part of the past decade. He started a storyline called Batman and Son, which then moved into Batman Rip, which then led into the Batman and Robin ongoing series, and finally into Batman Incorporated. And um, Grant Morrison managed to do a, a fantastic job of pulling together these very obscure Um, stories that took place in Batman and detective comics in the 1950s and into the 60s and even the 70s, um, sometimes basing his storyline simply on things that he had seen on the covers of the Batman and detective comics. And um, he managed to try to find a way to make all of these things work in the existing continuity of Batman. Hmm. Uh, we, We kind of talked about the idea that in one of our past episodes about the idea that DC has, you know, relaunched and through the various events that took place, they've um, ended former worlds and begun new worlds. And uh, most recently with the new 52, but he managed to look at all of that and said, what if, you know, all of these starts and stops never happened and all of this stuff was actually continuity. His writing was fantastic. I love how Grant Morrison is able to take some of the silliness of the Silver Age and bring it up to date. Mm-hmm. He has the ability to sort of to make this stuff interesting and, and edgy. And I think he shows that in the hands of a capable writer, any character can be made interesting. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and I, I think that I think he's really skilled in being able to do that. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I said earlier that I have a love-hate relationship with him, and the the downside of Grant Morrison's writing sometimes is that it becomes, I don't know what the appropriate word is for it, um, it becomes a little bit too exotic at times where you have <laughs> to go back and read what he's written. Uh, it doesn't read as plainly as some comic books tend to read. And so there's there's times where I, you know... I'll read an issue of it and I'll think I've, there's something hidden here that I'm missing and I've got to go back and figure out what it is. He definitely gets kind of high concept at times. Yeah. Has anyone, anyone who's read his work on the Doom Patrol 
we'll we'll know. It can get really weird. <laughs> I've I've often thought I would I would enjoy Grant Morrison more if I was on drugs. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Probably. I, 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 I'm pretty convinced that Grant Morrison himself is on drugs. That could very well be. <laughs> Every time I've ever heard him talk, too, I, I for some reason, just picture uh, the characters from Train Spotting in my head. <laughs> That's yeah. true. Father Matt, who are some of your favorites? Right now, I, I'm really hooked on everything Brian Michael Bendis. Over over the summer, I, I must have read over a hundred issues of Ultimate Spider-Man. That's been my my current addiction over over the summer. Uh, is 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 reading all things Brian Michael Bendis. His work on Ultimate Spider-Man. I, he he was able to take one of my very favorite characters, uh, Spider-Man, who had who had gotten kind of a bit rusty, and reinvent him without discarding what was great about the character to begin with. The Ultimate Spider-Man comic has all the elements that made the original Spider-Man character great, but then adds something completely new. He, he's able to write Peter Parker as a teenager in high school without it seeming corny, uh, which is, I imagine, a very difficult thing to write teenagers. So I, I was originally drawn to him from his war on Daredevil, which blew me away. I think he's up there with uh, Frank Miller as as one of the best writers to work on the character Daredevil. I've already recommended his, his book Alias and his character Jessica Jones, who he invented, and his, his work on Spider-Woman, Agent of Sword. Spider-Woman, a character that I don't think was was ever all that three-dimensional of a character all that interesting of a character brian michael bendis sort of made her so much more compelling i think he introduced her in avengers and just wrote her very well made her one of marvel's uh, most interesting female characters and i also just read his work on moon knight which moon knight is another just great character who, who doesn't get enough respect. And Brian Michael Bendis, his work on Moon Knight was, was awesome. Uh, it, was, it was funny. It was dark. It was, it was complex. It was exciting. He's just a, a writer that I can't put down. Right now, a lot of my, the, the, the books that I have you know, in my list of books I want to read uh, are, are Bendis books, <laughs> definitely. So Brian Michael Bendis, he's my current... I think my current favorite uh, comic book writer. But, I mean, I, I think we need to mention Alan Moore. Alan Moore, I, I put in with Grant Morrison and Neil Gaiman and a, a few uh, other guys, maybe Peter Milligan, too, as part of this awesome British invasion of comic book writers to come into D.C. and, and you know, since then into Marvel as well in and, and the 80s and just bring a whole new level of sophistication to comic books. You know, we've talked about how Grant Morrison breathed new life into old characters, but um, Alan Moore has done the same thing. His work, Watchmen, of course, is is, is become one of the most uh, acclaimed comic book series of all time. His work on Swamp Thing is amazing. You know, they've, they've made movies of just about 
all of his big works, uh, V for Vendetta. But none of the movies, in my opinion, have done justice to just how great his comic books are. Have you happened to read um, any of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. I, I, and I, I think the original series was just so good mm-hmm. and just so clever. I mean, even even down to the ads, the fake Victorian yes. ads <laughs> in the back of the book. I mean, it's just, it, it just brilliant comic book writing. Some of the later ones, I, I picked up a graphic novel that that he did of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and it was good. It just it didn't capture me as much as his original series did. But yeah, I mean, it's just a great concept for a comic book that became a really awful movie. Speaking of movie adaptions of his stuff, <laughs> yeah, I think for me, I I, I think first of um, Gail Simone, just because of her fantastic run on wonder woman one of the best runs on wonder woman that probably has ever been written is is the run that she did of course she became prominent before that having written a tremendous amount of birds of prey she wasn't the first writer on it but she might as well have been uh and and really set up the dynamic there between um oracle and and huntress and black canary and uh, expanded and, and and made those characters very interesting. Um, I, I'm also a big fan of Kelly Sue DeConnick. Her Captain Marvel has just been so good and so consistently good. Um, and uh, some of her other writing too, um, some of her independent work, Pretty Deadly, for instance, is very dark but very interesting. Kevin Smith, uh, <clears throat> that, that's probably a controversial pick in some quarters. Um, I, I will say I, I think he's a far better comic book writer than uh, than movie writer. I think we've we've talked about that here before. Um, although I mean he's there are moments when I'm you know I just just finished reading his um, uh, Spider Man and Black Cat uh, six part uh, series from 2002, which he then took a break yeah. halfway through for three years to finish, uh, and I I don't think that was uh, his greatest creative moment. But he's done a lot yeah. of really good writing. Uh, his his Daredevil work, um, his Batman work, uh, his Green Hornet, uh, all, all of which Green Arrow, all all of that I think has been really great. A young writer who's fairly still fairly new, uh, but has been doing a ton of work, and uh, she may become the female Brian Michael Bendis because she's she's like on everything now. Um, is uh, Marguerite Bennett. I don't know if, if if you guys have encountered any of her work yet, but uh, she's been writing some of the uh, Secret Wars stuff. Uh, she's written some some Batgirl. She's done some some more independent stuff, like a book called Butterfly. That's that's a spy book that's been really good. Um, I'm really enjoying her her work on A Force and also the the new DC Bombshells book. I don't know if you guys have seen this. Um, it's, yeah. yeah, it's funny. I mean, it's based partially off of these like pinup, uh, versions of the female, uh, characters in DC that they did these, these alt covers of a year or two ago. And so you'd think, well, now that's kind of a stupid concept for, a <laughs> for a comic book. And yet that is not what's inside of this book. Now, so I, I wasn't originally going to buy it. And then I, then I saw that she was writing it. Um, it's actually... Uh- 
a a very fascinating um, and we're only two issues in at this point but fascinating sort of 1940s era reimagining of a bunch of these characters uh, intersecting in a World War II world where they're trying to um, figure out who they are, um, figure out what's right and what's wrong. You know, she gives a, a new uh, origin to Supergirl um, as a, a kind of uh, Soviet agent. <laughs> Interesting. Um, it's you know it's really it's very fascinating so far i'm excited to see where it goes and uh and then beyond that you know a lot of the i mean i have a list a mile long here but a lot of the the ones that i think are, are really great are some of the ones who are doing some of the more interesting independent books like curtis weeb who writes uh rat queens he also writes a really great book called peter panzerfaust um, which is a kind of, uh, speaking of 1940s, a kind of World War II retelling of uh, Peter Pan. And then, you know, on, as far as the superhero books go, I mean, Mark Wade, G. Willow Wilson. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, we can't not mention Jeff Johns. I mean, that, you know, yeah. that guy has uh, done more for the DC universe, I think, than, than almost anybody. And Johns is another one of these guys who's just very consistent. He knows what a comic book is supposed to be and explores that to to the fullest. Um, I don't know that Jeff Johns... I don't know that I would want to read a novel by Jeff Johns, you know? Or, a no, or even a novel by Brian Michael Bendis or uh, Mark Wade. Maybe, you know, possibly. I'm not saying uh, that I wouldn't. But what I'm saying is those guys are perfectly attuned to the writing of comic books whereas sometimes especially in the last uh, 15 20 years there have been a lot more of these forays of famous writers taking a shot at um uh you know taking a shot at writing comics um like there yeah. was mm-hmm. jody uh Picoult, is that how you say her name who who did a run uh-huh. on wonder woman um and uh, I'm, I'm sure you guys can think of some well, uh, did you read the ultimate iron man by orson scott card no, no. <laughs> i so so I, I i i started reading that and I, I actually i read i read the whole thing i'm i'm still i'm still chewing it over what i <laughs> what i think of it i mean it, it was certainly gripping he, he completely changes iron man it, it, it reminded me a lot of Ender's Game, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I like him more as a novelist rather than a, a comic book uh, writer. You guys can weigh in. I, I, I think it's just a different sort of mindset that goes into writing a comic than um, than goes into doing these other kinds of writing, and it's not about whether or not you're an extremely detailed writer or not, because of course. These, these folks have all different styles of how they do it. I mean, you have, on the one hand, you have somebody like Alan Moore who writes reams of pages of script for every comic he does. And uh, it must be hell to try to be an artist uh, working with him because he, he, he scripts it down to the most minute detail of what he wants in every panel. Um, he even does drawings. Yeah. He, he does. Wow. Yeah. Um, so you've got him on the one hand, and then on the other hand, you've got like uh, something like uh, you know Stan Lee and the Marvel method, uh, where uh, 
It's, you know, okay, well, uh, here's basically what I want. Draw it and I'll fill in the speech bubbles later. <laughs> yeah, um, right, right. And, you know, so that the, I'd say those are the two extremes. But either one of those extremes can be good. Um, I think that the difficulty is to figure out how to do this in a way in which you can tell a compelling story that can nevertheless be chopped up with a month in between times that you're looking at it and still have it be compelling. And, I, you know, I, I think some of these folks, um, this is why uh, some of this stuff uh, reads a lot better in trade than it does uh, month to month because it's really hard to um, write a story that, you know, you're going to pick up the next chunk of it a month later and still feel like you're you're right in the middle of it uh, without it feeling like it's just rehashing things over and over again uh, or just being overly simplistic. One of the comparisons that I would make that I think has shown itself in comic books in the last 20 or 30 years is that, um, well, when you look at some of the stuff that Stan Lee did, and then uh, I've been reading a lot of Amazing Spider-Man now from the late 80s into the early 1990s that David Michelini wrote, and he's another person I would personally hold up as a great writer. Yes. Um, I think closely on the heels of Stan Lee in some ways with the character of Spider-Man, but those two guys managed to capture a very soap opera type of feel to their comic books, which could let independent issues stand alone, yet there was an ongoing thread and story that mm -hmm. hooked you and left you with some mystery that you were you know, expected to come back the next time to see. Today, I think comics have taken a much more cinematic feel in the sense that they're trying to tell a story in a movie sense versus a soap opera sense. And that's where I think you're right, Jonathan, in saying that they read better as trades rather than in a month-to-month -month thing. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. I, it, it's difficult to tell a self-contained story in a comic book. You, you don't have a lot of space to work with. One of the difficulties of comic book writing, if you're writing for Marvel or you're writing for DC is that you're working with character properties that have been around for a long time. You're generally working with a, a, a large amount of continuity. And uh, you're, you're working with an audience that knows these characters backwards and forwards, you know, has seen them do just about everything, right? Uh, I mean, just about all of these characters have gotten married, uh, gotten unmarried, gotten stuck in time. They've all died and come back. <laughs> Um, and so, uh, you know, what do you do with them? I, I think it's interesting uh, when there's a writer who's willing to take a risk with, okay, I'm going to do something very different with these characters, but it's still going to be clear that these characters are who you've always loved. We, we've talked about Grant Morrison doing some of that um, with, uh, with some of the Batman universe characters and, and, and so forth. This is not a particularly popular position but i actually think j michael straczynski uh is uh is a pretty decent comic book writer um and uh he he did a, a really interesting run on wonder woman you know uh right after gail simone's run actually where he had her kind of 
do this sort of falling through the looking glass thing where she was in an alternate version of the universe and didn't know what who she was or what had happened to her exactly. And so, um, you know, she had to kind of refigure herself out. You know, that was really fascinating. I think um, uh, Brian Azzarello, who very recently uh, was, was writing Wonder Woman, did something similar with that character where he kind of reinvented the world for her and um, and put her in contact with a whole new group of of peers and friends and family um, that uh, that had not been around her uh, previously. But this is also like for me, this is a big part of great writing as well, which is world building and the ability to uh, connect me not just with the fight scene that you happen to be writing. Um, or not just to assume that because I, you know, know these characters, then I don't really need any any extra information about the people who inhabit their worlds, but to really create a, a world that I want to spend time in. And that can be done in a lot of different ways. I, I, I think it's more of a challenge with a superhero book, uh, but I think it's one of the great things about the uh, the, the many, many independent creator-owned comics that are out there now uh, is is how well some of these creators can do that. Now, I'll just just to give an example, um, one of the books that I, I really love at the moment is by Ed Brubaker called Velvet. And mm. it, it, it's a spy story about a woman who uh, had been a, a, a British, she's British, she had been a spy in the, it takes place in the 70s, um, she had been a spy in the kind of uh, post-war era and then had basically become a secretary and nobody knew she'd been a spy. And then all of a sudden she's accused of a crime she didn't commit. and she's So she's forced to kind of like break out her spy chops again and, and uh, go on the lam and all this kind of stuff. But, but the thing that, that makes that world is just how precise everything is to the time period. Like you really just you feel like when you pick that book up, like I'm not just reading a spy book, like I'm reading a spy book and I'm in the 70s right now or when it flashes back to the 50s. I really feel like I'm in the 50s right now. Yeah, I would say that I think one of the things for me that makes really strong writing is an ability to write a good supporting cast. I think that gets lost a little bit today. And that's been one of my beefs with Spider-Man in recent years meaning the last decade or more, I feel like they've lost, uh, in some ways, they've lost a good, strong supporting cast and the ability to write that cast. Because to kind of echo what you were saying, Jonathan, I think that's sort of what sucks me into that world, is that I get to know not only the hero, but I get to know the people around the hero, and they all have a vital part in this story as well. Um, And I think that some of the difficulty in comic books today is the fact that um, you tend to get these writers who are on for a six-issue arc, and they do their six issues, and they focus on the hero, and they don't necessarily focus on building up the supporting cast. And then another writer comes along and doesn't really pick up on anything but writes a whole other arc. And I think you kind of lose something in that dimension. You know, an example of that was back in the 2000s. Jeff Loeb did a fantastic storyline in Batman called Hush and built up this whole thing where Jason Todd came back from the dead. 
And then he finished his, I think it was a 12-issue run or 13-issue run. And then um, Brian Azzarello picked up with a great story, but the two felt like they had nothing to do with each other, and they were two completely disconnected worlds. Mm -hmm. Killer Croc was in Hush. Killer Croc was in this other one. But the two Killer Crocs had very different personalities. And I think some of that, I feel like I get lost sometimes. I like... I like that sense of familiarity with the surroundings. I think the other thing that can happen too is that when you have these massive crossover events that oh gosh, yes. that take yes. over the uh, and this is really this is specifically a Marvel and DC issue because the creator run books or creator own books don't have this problem. Um, but you know, all of a sudden, uh, so you have a writer who's working up a really interesting story. Uh, all of a sudden they get sucked into whatever's happening in the big, you know, universe because that sells a lot of books. It knocks the whole thing off track. And then when you finally get back to it, it just doesn't have the same energy. And I've seen so many great books with great stories get killed that way. Uh -huh. um, because they just totally run out of steam um, because of these crossover events. Yeah, I, I completely agree. There, there's certain characters that have one writer writing for them for a very long time, and you know, that's when the characters and their supporting cast really sort of develop and round out. Um, and, and, and there's some characters even... Like, for instance, The Sandman. Now, uh, The Sandman, Neil Gaiman, um, it, for all intents and purposes, I mean, he kind of took um, an older character and re completely reinvented him. I mean, radically reinvented him. But I don't think anyone should ever write The Sandman except Neil Gaiman. Mm. He, he wrote it for several years. I mean, talk about creating a world. I mean, he created a whole, like, um, cosmology, you know, a whole mythology, and, and you know, it's it's it, it was Neil Gaiman's vision, and it was all his vision. I mean, it spanned, you know, centuries and and you know, across worlds, and and um, I mean, it's it's it, it just a it's a masterpiece. Um, now they it's so much so that they were able to make like successful spinoffs out of that world, but. Um, yeah, I think there's really something to be said about giving the writer the space and, and the time to really dig into a character and, and, and make it his own. Besides the um, things that we've already mentioned uh, in terms of being broken up month to month and, and, and so forth, um, do you guys think there are any inherently unique challenges to comic writing that wouldn't necessarily be true in other kinds of writing? You know, writing a comic book, if you're not both the writer and the artist, it's really a, a collaboration in telling the story. Because a comic book can have a great writer. If the artist is awful, it's not going to be a good story. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point, yeah. I think one of the big challenges for a writer in this format is you have to rely heavily on dialogue to get across what it is you're trying to get across. Uh, I mean, sure, you can, you can have uh, the sort of blocks that have people's thoughts running through their heads, and uh, 
depending on what your relationship is with the artist, you might be able to get away with, you know, being really direct about what you want drawn. But, uh, but you can't, this is not like a novel setting where you can just rely on a third person narrator or the, or the beauty of your descriptiveness. This is part of the reason why I think novelists have a hard time coming and writing comic books because you, you get used to trading off of your unique way of describing the world. And now all of a sudden that's not a tool you have. You've got to just rely on. Uh, what these people are saying, a little bit of what they're thinking, and then hoping that what you are trying to get the artist to convey emotionally in their faces comes through. Yeah, it's a it's a lot like film or theater in that respect. Yes. Um, yes. And, and I mean, we've talked about the cinematic uh, character of a lot of comics, um, and I, I think there's definitely a relationship between between the two mediums. And comics are being used now in conjunction with movies. Um, I'm thinking of the bridge that's happening between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. Marvel has introduced a series called Shattered Empire that's the bridge for that. So whereas it would cost so much Mm -hmm. to make another film to fit the gap, they can just make that connection with the comic books. Right, or after after Firefly and Serenity with the un, unanswered questions in those series, Joss Whedon turned to uh, creating comics to answer it. So he had a whole series that revealed what the deal was with Shepard Book and um, all of those, and that, that's canon in that world. It's not an extra bit. So, yeah. Well, then that brings us to our final segment, uh, This or That. This or That. This or that, come on everybody, let's this or that. Batman or Iron Man, this or that. Spider-Man or Superman, this or that. Boxes or briefs, this or that. DVD or VHS, this or that. Dungeons or Dragons, this and that. Moses or Elijah, this or that. This or that, this or that. Come on everybody, let's this or that. All right, so uh, this or that today, written by Father Kyle. Um, All right. So, Father Kyle, what do you have? I hope it's literary and learned. Well, it's a very, uh, <laughs> a very superhero centric this that that we have, with a few other elements mixed in. My first one, I will give to Father Jonathan: Spawn or Ghost Rider? <laughs> I have never read a single issue of either of those. I, I think that uh, if I was forced to read one of them, I'd probably pick Spawn because Ghost Rider is the kind of stupidest idea, I think. <laughs> but um, although, uh, you know, maybe uh, what one of these days we should have a God and Comics uh, sit down where the three of us get together and watch Nicolas Cage's Ghost Rider um, and... Uh, and <laughs> Do kind of an MST3K kind of commentary uh, for that. That could be yeah. fun. I, I, I went to see that in, in the movies. Did you really? <laughs> I went to the movies a lot back then, so uh. I would see just like, you know, it was awful. But you know what? It was, how, how about it was better than Spawn, the, mo- the Spawn movie. I didn't know there was yeah. a Spawn movie. Okay. Oh, yeah, early on. It was awful. On, it, was it was really awful. Uh, you know what? Spawn is one of these characters when, when it first came out. 
I thought Spawn was so good, you know? But, like, mm-hmm. and then, you know, I was, what, 12? <laughs> right. And now I look at it and, like, this is just garbage. It's really <laughs> awful. <laughs> like, uh, Todd McFarlane cannot write. All right, well, the next this or that is for Father Matt, and yours is Venom or Carnage? Oh, I, I think Venom. I think Carnage was pretty interesting, but uh, it's just, it's he, he didn't have the same sort of uh, depth for me as Venom. I mean, so so Venom has the, you know, his, the, his the long history of the alien suit was was with Peter Parker, and then it came to this uh, Eddie Brock character. And, I, I mean, Venom is, is, is one of Spider-Man's best villains. Um, and, and Carnage is, is, is sort of, um, you know, he's cool, but uh, doesn't have the same depth for me of, of character that, that Venom does. Yeah, Venom tended to have a little bit of a, conflict within him that carnage didn't carnage is pure killer um yes. sort of a joker joker in a symbiotic suit um but venom had that uh he wants to be a protector of the innocent but at the same time he hates peter parker and spider-man and wants him dead exactly and, yeah, exactly definitely a much more complex character well father jonathan the next one is for you the avengers or the justice league of america justice league of america i would certainly go with the justice league of america but i'm you know i mean i'm i'm uh, at heart i'm kind of a dc guy i mean i do read a lot of marvel stuff uh and i love those characters too but um yeah i mean you can't you know superman batman wonder woman green lantern i mean come on i can't can't get much better than that yeah, I would I would agree with you there. Now, if it was the Avengers versus the Justice League of um, I don't know Samoa or something, I might feel differently. <laughs> West Coast Avengers versus the Justice League of New Zealand, you know, like <laughs> you could do the Justice League Europe. They had that for a while. Yeah, yeah. Justice League Dark. Justice League. Justice League Dark. Yeah, that was that was an interesting idea. Yeah, it didn't yeah. really work. They had Justice League Canada for about five seconds, um, and right, uh, right. nobody was buying the book, so they changed the name to Justice League United. <laughs> right, right. All right. Uh, Father Matt, your question. Uh, you get a, a little liturgical question here. Purple or blue as the color for Advent? Hmm. Uh, oh, I, I think I'm going to have to say purple. I mean, I think the 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 what do they call it? the serum blue. I think I think it's yeah. really pretty, but I suspect that it might have been something that was just invented by like the Alme catalog or something. You 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 are correct. To sell, like, you are correct. To sell more vestments. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it's 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 a very pretty color. I think I'd buy like a a polo shirt or something in that color. But, uh, <laughs> They yeah. find some ancient justification for anything, right? right, right. <laughs> That's right. You know why? Why do you always fall down when you walk up to the altar? Well, they've been doing that since ancient times, and you know it <laughs> turns out it's just that uh, old Father Smith fell down once or twice, and it became a tradition. <laughs> yeah. Well, he didn't want to be embarrassed, so you that's know, right. He had to start doing it every week. That's, that's right. right. <laughs> so. 
I heard a story like that once um, I, that I believe is a true story, although I don't know for sure. <laughs> but this is a colleague of mine back when I was in the Diocese of Easton who told me about um, uh, a parish that she had worked in where priest, whenever they celebrated, was required to walk up to the back wall and kick it at the beginning of the service. <laughs> and and knew, nobody knew why. Um, but they just had to do it. It was like part of their routine. And, and so she did some digging into this and discovered she had to go back like two or three rectors to figure this out. But what she discovered was that the church used to not have a very good heating system. And when they put the thing in, uh, it would go it would go down easily. And so there was a spot where there used to be a, a control vent uh, up in that wall and half the time when the heat didn't work, the priest would just have to kick it to get it to start up correctly. And that that system was long since gone, but they were still kicking the wall, you know? So <laughs> funny how things like that become ritual in parishes. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think that's a that might be a great metaphor for um, a lot of things that we do in this church. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Father Jonathan, yours is bacon or coffee? <laughs> Somebody's been reading my Facebook page. Um, I, I would I would go with bacon because I, I I actually can't drink coffee. Like I physically can't drink coffee. So um, yeah, it's one of these things I'm not supposed to have. Um, so there we are. For the uh listeners out there father jonathan posted on his facebook page that he enjoys the smell of bacon and coffee but does not like either and now see now that that is um a gross mischaracterization of what i said Uh, and uh, i just want to take this opportunity to publicly clear the record i did not say that i disliked either of those things i said they smell better than they taste and i i stand by that Bacon isn't necessarily doesn't necessarily taste bad. It's just it smells so much better, and then when you actually bite into it, you're kind of like, eh, all right, there it is. Okay. Um, so My misperception. That's that's correct. But you you people in the mainstream media with your gotcha <laughs> journalism. That's right. Let's <laughs> not reopen this controversy. When you know. when Trump is president, none of this is going to happen. It's going to be a different world. Because we'll be dead. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, On to Father Matt. Yours is Power Man or Iron Fist? Power Man is is Luke Cage. I like Luke Cage. Um, I I think he's an interesting character, and uh, I'm looking forward to the Netflix Luke Cage show more than the Iron Fist. <laughs> yeah, Luke Cage, I think, was a great character in Brian Michael Bendis's new Adven- uh, New Avengers run a while back. That's when the first time I really got into the character, and they changed him. They took away the corny silver headband and the afro and the open yeah. shirt, and you know. Well, now now he he's he's been he's been separated from his black exploitation roots. Right, right. <laughs> But now he's got kind of a more hip hop kind of thing going on, and, yeah. and um, it, it, I, 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 I'm, I'm interested in the. You know, he's the um, 
he's the father of Jessica Jones's child, right? Mm-hmm. In the comic books, and they're 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 a couple. Um, um, so yeah, I I, I I think the TV show is going to be. It could be really cool. I was gonna I, I was gonna say earlier, uh, didn't get the chance, but uh, Father Matt, I don't know if you're aware that uh, they've they've just uh, they're reissuing the Alias books in a three-volume set uh, beginning oh, nice. beginning later this month. You can pre-order them on Amazon now, uh, which is great, because ever since you recommended it, I've been trying to find it and uh, <laughs> have have not succeeded in finding a copy that was less than $100. So wow. um, this will be nice to be able to buy one for 15 bucks. Yeah, you could, you could download them on, on um, Comixology. Oh, really? I, I, but yeah, I, they're up there. Um, are they on Marvel Unlimited? No. No, no, no. Uh, but the pulse is. Okay. The pulse is um is is it, it it picked up with the character of Jessica Jones after Alias. Mm. Um, so that's where you get the storyline with her and and Luke Cage. All right. Well, on to Father Jonathan. Your question is: Bugs Bunny or Mickey Mouse? <laughs> Uh, uh, Mickey Mouse, I think. I have no rationale for that, though. I'm just... Uh, you just went I'm with just, the way your heart led you. Uh, that's, you know, that's what the Holy Spirit is telling me right now. That's right. That I should go with <laughs> Mickey Mouse. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go with Mickey Mouse. All right. And the correct answer would have been Bugs Bunny. <laughs> although... My daughter would disagree with me on that. Well, and who are you to contradict the Holy Spirit, Father Kyle? That's right. <laughs> All right, Father Matt. Uh, yours, because we're getting into the season of fall, yours is chili or beef stew? Chili. Definitely chili. Now, yeah. I, I, I love chili. Um, I'm not that crazy about beef stew. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, but I, I love chili. I, I'll eat chili all year long, but especially in in the in the fall. It's one of the few dishes that I enjoy making. Yeah, you know? me too. Me too. Like, because chili is fun. You could just like cut up stuff and throw it in there and be like, well, "What happens if I pour this in there?" That's it's right. like, no matter what you do, it's kind of good. That's right. <laughs> This this explains why it's uh, never a good idea to uh, be downwind of Father Matt in the fall. (laughs) Father Jonathan, Mary Jane or Gwen Stacy? Um, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Mary Jane, although I think it would probably depend a little bit on the day. Um, that you asked me, but I've just recently in the uh, in Marvel Unlimited, I've been uh, reading uh, Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane from, uh, I guess, about 10 years ago. Um, and uh, that actually made me find Mary Jane to be a, a more interesting character than I had previously. So, mm-hmm. um, Well, that is all I have for you gentlemen today. Okay. Well, then, that is all that we are going to have for our friends out here in Internet land. Uh, I hope that you all have enjoyed the show as we enter into the second season here. We've got a lot of great shows planned. We've got some special guests who are going to be joining us on future episodes. So please uh, do tune in and uh, subscribe and, and do all of that good stuff. The show is subscribable through iTunes. 
And while you're there, if you wouldn't mind giving the show a, a rating, uh, we, would, we would greatly appreciate it. It helps other people to find the program. We are also up on Facebook and Twitter, facebook.com slash godandcomics, twitter.com slash godandcomics, so you can follow us, like us, do all that good stuff. There's lots of extra great show content that shows up in both of those places. Our theme music is provided by Father Paul Wheatley. Hopefully you are banging your head to it right this moment. Until next time, I am Father Jonathan Michikin. I'm Father Kyle Powell. And I'm Father Matt Stromberg. We'll see you next time.